no me queda El dolor lo tengo presente, el dolor lo tengo presente, el dolor lo tengo presente, el dolor This is the reality dysfunction. My name is Ernesto Morales from Prescott, Arizona. Alex Lozada, right now I'm in Atlantic City in New Jersey. I'm a daughter of immigrants and I'm Colombian. Francisco Lopez on the far left, West Coast. <laughs> the far left, huh? Okay. <laughs> that was good. Geographically yeah. and politically, right? Far <laughs> left. Uh, so clever. Uh, Juan Carlos Vega, Puerto Ricano, living in Washington, D.C. Cecilia Olvera from Detroit, Michigan. Carolina Sanchez coming from the not so far left, probably center left of California. <laughs> uh, Dan Sosa and I am in Saginaw, Michigan at the moment. All right. And then Carlos Hernandez coming from the Countdown City in Texas, better known as San Antonio. Is that what they call San Antonio, the countdown city? The zip, the area code is 210. Oh, <laughs> yeah, all right. <laughs> That's so funny. We call it the countdown city. <laughs> yeah. Last stop, man. Yeah, I like that. So uh, let's do it. We were talking about the election before. Let, let's get back to it. What did you say, Francisco? Why isn't everybody hoopline? No, it's just like, y'all happy. For what? I don't know. That's that. That's just the question of today. Hey, I saw a Facebook post today, and it said nauseously watching, and I feel like that pretty much sums it up. Yeah. <laughs> I live I in a racist. AOC one. I'm happy about that. Yeah. I'm upset at California man. and Rashida. Yep, Rashida. Yep. There you go. I, I think there's a lot of new people coming in and a lot of new blood, and we don't know their final results yet or analysis. I know that a lot of LGBTQ people, including trans people, are being elected to positions. Yeah. Our um, first trans then, congresswoman? I'm sorry? Senator? We, the first trans person in, yeah. in you government, know, in high government. Right. And then they're also a non-binary individual. Mm -hmm. And then, but I want to point out just because they're LGBTQ doesn't mean that they are on, you know, the good side of the, of the conversation. Right. People because just, just right. Just like they vote, they, you know, they also voted for Trump a lot in terms of how many LGBTQ people voted this year for Trump and he went up. Yeah. And, and let's, let's be clear about that. So. Well, I think they've, they've been talking a lot. A lot of stuff has come out in the last couple, well, just since yesterday, really, not the last couple of days, just since yesterday, about how um, every category across the board, except for Latina women, voted at a higher rate for Trump in 2020 than they did in 2016. But I think that also part of that is that a lot more people voted in 2020 than they did in 2016. But I mean, I shout out, shout out to the Latinas. And I don't mean the Cubans and the Venezuelans. I mean, primarily the Puerto Ricans and the Chicanas for holding yeah. it down. Yeah. yeah. I think, I think it's also. And, and a Colombiana. And then the, yeah, that's right. That's right. Yep. My bad, my bad, my bad. Yep. I think, I think some of that though, we're forgetting 
I think some of that is also due just to the the um, the influence of incumbency. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. he was the incumbent, and incumbency has a weird kind of draw for some people. You know, uh, some people might think, "Oh, well, he wasn't that bad," and I voted against him last time, so I'll vote, or I didn't vote last time, but I'll vote for him this time. I mean, incumbency can have a weird kind of power, and and so it doesn't completely shock me that. He did. A, I think we have to keep it in perspective about how well he did with supposedly all these other groups, but the fact that he did even better or better with you know even a slight margin, I mean that's telling. I think I do think though some of it is incumbency. That's my take. Uh, I think it's fifty percent of the country wrong, is, has racist tendencies. Is that fair to say? I mean, so I, I, I think probably it's more. There's black, brown, <laughs> white, purple. You know. <laughs> You know, one of the things, too, because I, I mean, I don't normally spend a lot of time on Twitter, but today I, I found Twitter kind of like entertaining. And all these people, all these like white people are like crying about like how close the election is and all this other kind of stuff. And I'm like, you know, number one, read a fucking history book. OK, because I don't understand what it is that you're so shocked about. And number two, it's not a close election. It's only close in the Electoral College which is what the electoral college was created for. And that was for just such an occasion, like my man Foghorn Leghorn says, right? We accidentally blow ourselves up and poor people elect somebody that the rich people don't want. Actually, Biden has gotten more votes than any other candidate in in the history of presidential elections, you know, for this one election. It's, it's not a close election in terms of the popular vote. Well, but between the two candidates, it's about a three million difference. And in a country of like a hundred and something or 200 and something million people, three million people difference, it's a lot. I mean, it's nothing. It seems like half of the country is still a bunch of following this bigot, you know? But I think it's more about like, then how many, but yes, there are that many people, but how many people actually voted? And it's the three million between how many voted. Over a hundred million people have voted right. this election. I mean, yeah. this is a big one. Yeah, I'm, I haven't looked at the final tally because honestly, the mail-in ballots are still a huge piece of it. Like, it's over a hundred and thirty million at this point. Is it? The last right. number I saw was a hundred million. Right now, Biden has over sixty-nine million votes, and Trump has six over sixty-six million votes. So you see, like the number is still comparably close to one another at the end. But that's because the candidates are comparably close to one another. I mean, really, you know, think about it. If if Bernie Sanders had been the person who was running over the past uh, six or seven or nine months, it could very uh, conceivably be a completely different sort of election that we're having right now. We're close to a quarter of a million dead from the coronavirus. You have two candidates, the Republican and the Repub- and the Democratic candidate, who both say that they do not support universal health care. We've had massive uh, riots all this year, all around police uh, brutality, specifically directed towards the black community, or at least that's what the riots have been about. And you have two candidates, the Republican and the Democratic candidate, who both say they support law enforcement. You know, I mean, I'm not saying that they're the exact same person. I don't think that Donald Trump is a regular person. I don't think he's a regular. Like, if we were talking about, like, 
couple of years ago, Al Gore and George Bush, or even Biden and Bush or Mitt Romney or something, I'd, I'd be like, yes. But th- I don't think, I have a hard time putting this person into that context of how we do politics as usual in this country. And that's why, I mean, I, I, I've said it before, I think that Donald Trump is a domestic terrorist and he's tearing us apart piece by piece. And I think sometimes how we talk about the narrative, right, and how we are continuing the narrative, like it's to his benefit, right? And yeah, I completely agree with you. I think like we need to figure out how to change that narrative instead of completely buying into it time after time. Like Todd, I spend a lot of my time on Twitter. Like that's my social media crack. Yeah. And <laughs> and I don't know if it's a lot of East Coast people on there, but it, it is a lot of weepy white women. But I'm going to have to say, like, there were articles, a post today by Charles Blow and, you know, Hannah Nicole Jones. And, and it really bothered me. And I can't put my finger on exactly why or what it was. But I really got bothered by what they were saying. And I didn't agree with it. And I just, I can't get past my feelings to articulate what was it that they were what saying? What it was. So Charles Blow was talking about how. The increase in the Latino and Asian vote for Trump, right? And then he went and said that we cannot rely on the browning of America to Mm. save us basically from white supremacy. White supremacy, yeah. And it just like... But it's true. I mean, I don't don't know about like the, the vote turnout, but we can't rely on the browning of america to save us from white supremacy i mean we we've but been the arguing then becomes on our community to fix this problem and the ownership but it's not just on our community it's on voter suppression it's on white supremacy it's on internalized colonialism it's not on our community at all if they if they want to win elections then go do something about the fucking 50 million rednecks that voted for donald trump that's right worrying about the few million of us yeah that voted for Trump. I mean, come on. Exactly. I'm with Dan. I mean, we're, yeah, we're still disproportionately affected by like voter suppression, by like not granting citizenship. Citizenship's a huge thing. Like, how many Latinos are in the country that don't have citizenship that could have voted? You know, it's like all these things of like, like we got to fix other things before we blame the black and brown community or the POC community in general for not going out and voting. Okay. Okay. Like, well, I wait a minute. I have a, a clarifying question because I want to make sure what what I think I'm I'm hearing is what we're saying right now. Like we don't have to fix. It's not about fixing racism, right? You do you understand what I'm saying, Alex? I understand what you're saying, and that's not okay. what I'm saying. What okay. I'm saying is, I feel like the burden of saving America, right, through this browning of America, that then oh, because all of a sudden. Latinos are all the same, so we're just going to vote progressive and we're going to vote in a different way. I mean, we We shouldn't be blamed for like problems white people created. I mean, we should fix them. We should try to aim to fix and to be better. We shouldn't just have this narrative of like, like Alex was saying, like the black and brown are going to save us. It's like, no, like we are victims of a white supremacy, like colonial state. And before like white America, like before like the black and brown, like liberation can happen, white America has to realize that everything that we have in America is built on white supremacy. Oh, see and- that that part I disagree with. That I, I agree with almost everything you said except for that part. I don't think that white people have to see anything before we figure out a way to end it. 
that 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 part I disagree with because I think that what that does and I, I and I understand the the allure of it right but what it does is is it puts us on it still puts us on their timeline right yeah and and we're I I'm sorry but I can't that that's the one part of this whole conversation right here that I can't buy into I don't think that we need to be on their timeline as a matter of fact. I think that's the problem is that for the last 500 years, we have been on their timeline. And so, okay, wait, so let me rephrase it. Cause I okay. think like you're right. And what I said is yeah. that we were talking last week of like, we have to analyze in organizing and like stuff like that, who yeah. has the power. And I think like, we know that white people have the power. And so when I'm saying like white people have to get on the same page, I'm, I want to acknowledge that like, white people have the power and we have to also have that power, but we have to use the power that white people have and the leverage that they have to then get to point the points that we want. I don't think I agree with you. Like we shouldn't be like walking hand in hand with them, not pulling them along. Like we have to drag them along into the things we want to do, but we can't do anything without also like getting their aid because they have the power. You know, a lot of them walked hand in hand with people at those Black Lives Matters rallies, and then they went and voted for Trump. Yeah, I agree with you yeah. on that. I've seen I'm it all around my neighborhood. Them. Yeah, uh, yeah they were bikes flew up, you know, and then they came down, and the last couple of days, those flags were back up. Yeah, one one of the things that we really have to figure out how to embrace, and I think that even. I mean, I really love these conversations and I get to listen to them three or four times, you know, for a whole bunch of reasons. And so like really hearing what what you all are saying. But I think that one of the things that even in this group of people, which who I think are extremely progressive, that we have a really hard time articulating uh, what political power looks like outside of white reality. We have a hard time with that. And I don't think that we're the only ones. I think a lot of people have a hard time with that. I think the faster that we can get it through our minds, that the best thing that we can do for our community is drop white folks, not drop them in the sense that we don't want anything to do with them, but drop them in the sense that they actually are going to participate in our liberation. Because I don't think that as a community that they're particularly able to do that. I don't think they're equipped to do it mentally. Uh I totally agree with you. And I'm like, I think that's the, also the biggest problem that people who are older have with the way and the approach that people my age take at gaining that political power. Because we try to seize it, we try to do it fast, and we try to do it, you know, the way that we want to. And, you know, it's, it's heavily emotion driven, but still, like, we can articulate how to seize that power. But we have so much that's working against us that we just end up having to, I feel like, with every new generation, we just end up having to conform to the way things are so we can get our little incremental, you know, progress stamps. You know, I, I, but I think I think that I mean, I think some of that problem is that is that within the communities, there isn't a set. There hasn't been maybe ever like ultimately I keep going back to like, OK, well, what is the goal? The reason there's always a there's always always a breakup, and there's always this lack of of generational continuity, is because uh, I mean some of it is because that's engineered, you know, I mean purposely engineered. But um, another part is because it's like no generation has passed on and said, 
well, this is a solid goal. This is the goal that we have as the community. This is what we want. And so in order to move the ball further along, I'm going to take it in this mark, knowing that my productive years is are like maybe 35 to 50 years, whatever, you know, but I'm prepping that next generation and they're going to take it to get it to the next level. And then the next generation, take it to a next level. You can do that when you know that you have a goal. What is your goal? What is your ultimate triumph? And, you know, what do we want? Do we want more democracy? We want more voice. We want more representation in, in a capitalist white settler colonial system. I mean, that's what we want. We want bigger buy-in. We're not, we're not, a, we're not, a, we don't have a problem with the system. We just want more buy-in. Is that what we want? We want brown capitalism. I mean, what do we want? Do we want liberation? Okay. Well, what does that liberation look like? Like you can't, you can't, you can't get somewhere if you don't know ultimately where in the end it's going to go. And our generations have always been kind of like broken up, like, one half of this generation wanted to, you know, be brown Democrats. And basically they didn't have a problem with the system. They just were upset that they were cut out of the system. Others wanted to like, no, nah, the hell with this whole system. I mean, how, you know, so that's why there's always this kind of like break within generations. It's because like people haven't defined, our communities haven't defined what the hell is it exactly do we want? And then I mean, we can start working there. So is Arizona a good place to look at? I think because so. I think we've I, seen we've seen those generations that you're talking about, Carlos, right? And we really see the work of the you know DACA undocumented, right? And people being tired of what we're talking about, right? With the limitations that living in a white society can have, but at the same time, you know. So I celebrate, definitely celebrate Arizona. But then when I look at what happened here in California, I mean, we had a we had one of our propositions, Proposition 16, was going to end diversity ban. So it was going to try to re-implement affirmative action. Yeah. And guess what happened to that? Failed. Yeah. Failed. I was what surprised. You know, the props, real man. Quick, I'm like I'm so frustrated. Yeah. I just want to point out real quick, Todd Morales moved to Arizona, and then a few short years later, it turned blue. (laughs) (laughs) I want to say for, I know, I want to say for the record, man, that, I mean, I have, I have met a lot of organizers here from all over the state. And and mostly that is because, you know, my, my job, my teaching job is teaching organizing right at Prescott college. But I'm, I'm telling you, man, I, this whole thing, this whole year, I have been doing nothing but sitting at home. So I well, mean, at least take credit for the weed for the weed. right. <laughs> Look, I just gotta say that every, I agree with what every you know because I, I really think it's important that we jump into conversations about what's happening in specific states and territories. And I, I just want to say that of all the things that everybody just said, I agree with everybody in somewhere or the other, but I'm gonna agree with the most with Carlos, right? Because he takes me back to our conversations about where's our you know national representation as Latin. Latinos or Latinas, Latinx people, and we don't have it. So therefore, we don't have a goal, and therefore, we don't have, right? And what we have is small pockets at the local level that are doing perhaps some regional work as well. But that those are the victories that I think we're going to see on, on the elections, right? Where people are mobilizing and groups are being active, like in Arizona, right? But, you know, it's quite interesting, you know, uh, because I do believe that while we do need 
need white allies along the way and every other color, nobody's going to save us, right? Mm -hmm. And nobody's going to save Latinos. And even within Latinos, we're fighting among Colombianos and Puerto Ricanos and Cubanos and Mexicanos and Puerto Ricanos and, Cu and Dominicanos, right? And then generationally, we're fighting and saying, blaming the old people, hurry up and die. That's what they were saying. Hurry up and die so that you stop voting pro-statehood in Puerto Rico, right? So those kinds of things are violent at the end, right? And so how do we merge the generations that have been working through time? And I think it's been said, how do we recognize the work that has been done to implement it? And then hear and letting and supporting those young voices lead the way, right? Well, we help them sit down and, you know, rest so that they don't burn out from, you know, what's coming. So, yeah. And I just want to say, I want to hear what's happening at the local level, too. I want to say one quick thing, just so, so I can say that I said it. What's happened in Arizona is being underestimated right now. People want to look at where the tide started changing as far as the election with Biden or whatever. You have to look at Arizona because yeah. that's, that's what gave him that breathing room, that little space to have a better run towards it, it would be so different if 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 uh, they're not giving it to Biden Arizona that that gave him that space that was like again I don't know why I'm going into boxing analogy but that's what buckled the knee that allowed the, the punch the, the knockout it's you know uh, I mean? it is, that ain't that's nothing but brown folks it, that's what I'm that's saying straight up that's so straight that's up brown folks because they call, they start talking about this Latino vote and how well Trump did. And they're keying in on Florida. And I'm like, why aren't you talking also about what's going on in Arizona? Yeah. And that's that's Mexicanos, that's Mexican-Americans, maybe some Central Americans. I don't think too much in Arizona. But, I mean, it's definitely the Mexicano vote, the Chicano vote. Why aren't they, you know, talking about that? It's like, I don't know. They just, again, man, lazy. And I think well, that isn't that the system? Issue. It's that who who is who is talking about us? Who is telling our story? Who's creating the narrative? We have to. We have who, to. When I see on Twitter two black people talking about the Latino vote and what, what does they, it mean to be Latino and right. the diversity within our community, economic, racial, right? They're talking about it. I'm like, no, you shouldn't be talking about it. You should be, as black people, inviting brown people to right. come into the discussion and say, this is my community and this is what it re represents. Yeah. Not I mean, yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, again, we could, you could turn it and say, like, I mean, I, I read how you were saying about Charles Blow and, well, the browning of America is not a guarantee of whatever. I mean, it's like, yeah, all, all these communities can do a lot better as far as far as that. There's there's sometimes a tendency. I even see it again with like all the communities, not just whites, but sometimes black the black people in the black community do it as well. Of not realizing how they're making certain assumptions about our community, which are the exact same assumptions that white people make, mm -hmm. but they they'll get a little bit more cover for it or a little bit more like pass for it because they also are POC. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like it's like. You're making the same assumptions, like this guy Blow making the same mm. assumptions, lumping everybody together. And I love how they, I love how they'll say like, um, "Oh, we understand Latinos are not a monolith," but then they'll proceed to start talking about us as a in the same after yeah, that breath, as if we're a monolith. I'm like, you know, 
it's it's just it gets just real frustrating. Right. <laughs> I have a question for for Ernesto. So being that you're in Arizona, what was the Biden outreach like? I mean, it was was it, it was there an outreach? Was it strictly uh, you know on the ground, door to door activists? You know, yeah. or was there somewhat of a narrative out there? You have to look at the at the uh, Democratic structure in Maricopa County primarily. You know, there's a, a young uh, organizer uh, who's been on the podcast in the beginning of the pandemic, Xenia Orona. Um, she is the uh, first of all, she's on fire. Like, I mean, just moving shit, making shit happen. Right. And then the chair of the Maricopa, Maricopa County Dems, uh, also um, a sister, she kind of God, I can't remember her name right now. I'm kind of embarrassed by that. They have been pushing and pushing. You know, I used to work for the farm workers back in the 90s, man. All my old bosses from the farm workers have been hitting me up over the last uh, month, you know, having me send out uh, information. I mean, the UFW was hiring organizers to put out into the streets here in um, in Arizona, you know, primarily down in Phoenix. The people who run Maricopa County uh, Dems, like Xenia and, and all these other people, man, I mean, they have been on it for months, dude, for months, right? I mean, it's just uh, the the effort has been crazy. Even here in Yavapai County, which is, uh, I mean, is, is very conservative. It's like one of the most conservative counties in the country. The local Dems here have just done this massive turnout, you know, in terms of like really, and, you know, uh, we went out and dropped lit for some candidates. They had contactless lit dropping. I mean, it's just been... It was a massive effort in in Arizona to make that to make that happen. But this organizing started with 1070 men. This organizing started with 2281, right? I mean, you look at like Puente down in Phoenix, right? And some of these other organizations, well, Puente is a big one. I mean, they've really been like pushing it. This is an example. Somebody somebody will write a book about this. I'm sure of it. This is an example of long-term, low-intensity community organizing with a very specific goal in mind. And that goal is to build power for the uh, Chicano Latino community in the state of Arizona, right? So that we can stop getting laws passed like 1070 and, you know, 2281, which outlaws Mexican-American studies. So no, there's there's a group of people here who, I mean, it's been phenomenal to watch. I mean, it really has. I've, I've tried to plug in where I can, but, you know, I'm not from here. And I live in Prescott. Right. So it was a big way to away. cut, man, right? Yeah. Yeah. Sounds like it. Yeah. No, but they, they did. I, I'd like to get Xenia back on and, you know, and the chair of the, Mar the Maricopa yes. County Dems and just have this have this conversation with them one more time. You know, and, and, and what Todd is saying reminds me a little bit of what's truly you know, kind of happened in Puerto Rico. And again, I, I'm not there, right? But I'm closely watching and social media really allows you to see and communicate with people. And in Puerto Rico, so there's always been a three-party system, right? And, you know, every time there's elections in the States, there's always elections in Puerto Rico as well. There's a three-party system. The one that wants the statehood, the one that wants the status quo of how we are, a territory, commonwealth, third-class citizenship, and the third one wants the full independence, right? 
So those are the three party system. Maybe someone comes up and that's it. But the votes are always for governorship, like 47% and then a minimum like five or six percent of independence for the governorship, right? But this year, the candidates for the governorship for the independence party and a, another new candidate that is called Victoria from the Victoria Ciudadana party, which is they literally created their platform by having meetings all across the island and said that people in the island will select who were the candidates. So there's, there's no, nobody naming here, right? So this is community driven. And the interesting part is that this woman got almost 15% of the total population vote and the independent uh, guy this time got 14%. Hmm. So this completely changed the numbers and the perspective. And even though this one's, you know, the pro-statehood one, right, the middle one, won again, even though they were ousted out by the people, the governor that was ousted was from the same party. Right. And they are aligned. They are Latinos for Trump as well. Many of these people that are winning. Right. But the the local legislatures and everything looks different because the two, even though the Independence Party has always been there, it became a real player in this election. And the other party of Victoria Ciudadana made a difference. And how? It was because they took the time to go to door by door, municipio by municipio, like what the organizers were doing in Arizona. And we are at 95% votes counted. The race for the mayorship of San Juan is between one of the old, the old, one of the old parties and the Victoria Ciudadana candidate. If that guy wins the capital of Puerto Rico in his first run under this party, this is huge change in the politics of Puerto Rico. And he went, Manuel Natal, I hope he wins, Grandma Pray. But this guy went door to door. I saw him. I saw him. He went door to door and you could see him. Not like the other one said, I would get phone calls from the other candidates calling me. Hey, vote. I'm like, cabrón, I I don't live in Puerto Rico and fuck you and I hope you lose, right? So in that sense, at the local level, organizing ourselves is the only way we're going to make this happen. Even before thinking about who's going to represent us at the national level, it's at the local level where we are going to have our victories and where I believe we're having them. We had a, a local Chicano win um, here in Saginaw City Council. Hey. Um, like for, yeah, hey. I, I, I told them about that. Yeah, I've known Mike since he was like before he was old enough to drive. So yeah, I've known him a long time. I'm um, super happy about that. I did a lot of work on his campaign this season. Right. I was on the phone with him just about every day and yeah, I was glad he won. I mean, here in Yavapai, almost all the Dems lost, except for uh this Yavapai Apache sister Tomasine Cardona, who was running for school board um over in the Verde Valley. And so, I mean, but she won. You know, she got like two thousand votes. She was one of the guests on the podcast before. Right? She has been on the podcast before. Yeah. That's right. Yep. I yep. think in Michigan, probably the most devastating thing for me is that John James won. Has it been called yet? It hasn't been called yet, but I'm just trying. Mitch to McConnell won. Uh, yeah, oh, well. he did. God, he did. fuck. Yeah. 
And so did Lindsey Graham. Oh, Lord. I hope they have sex in one of the bathrooms at the Capitol. Bastards. <laughs> closeted gay men. That's what they are. Closeted gay men. You can ask anybody in the gay community. Those two assholes, homophobes, they are transphobic too. They are gay men in the closet. You can ask any gay man and they'll tell you that. But straight people don't necessarily know that or have that conversation. Anyway. <laughs> you can say that. I don't know if I can say that. <laughs> you take your word on that one, man. Yeah, trust me. I hope they're having sex in the bathroom and somebody catches them right there in the Capitol under the rotunda and shit. <laughs> okay. <Assholes>. All right. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. I'm bothered. Uh, um, the problem is now I can't unsee that, Juan Carlos. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is burned in my mind now. Yeah. Please cut some so, of that Carlos. out. Hey, Carlos. So what happened in, in Texas? What's the word in Texas? Do we... Do we count that as a victory, as a movement in the right direction? I was shocked for a long time that it was blue for so long. Yeah, I I think it's a lot of people. First of all, again, I think and I think this is something that always goes on. It's like people set this type of expectation that's kind of somewhat unrealistic. And then they act like it's a big failure when that expectation doesn't get met. And it's like, no, man, it's that your expectation was too, like, unrealistic at this point. I knew Texas was not going to turn blue yet you know i knew i just it's not it's not going to happen just yet and uh it's going to be like really incremental well i saw some interesting things i mean the voter turnout was through the roof yeah a lot of that was driven by young and driven by a young latino young mexican-american you know a lot of that was driven in that trump did do better in texas than he did in 2016 he did do a little bit better. It looks like I haven't really seen the numbers yet, but it looks like he did, you know, a little bit better with with the Mexican Americans, with the Chicanos over here. Um, looks like it, the area that he did do a little, or where he didn't, how how was it? Uh, Clinton like just walloped them in areas like in the Valley, but this time it doesn't look like it. It looked like he had a little bit more support in the Valley area, Bear County. There, all the big, all the big, this is what's so kind of weird is that, like, in the cities, it still went strong for, for Biden with a big influx or, like, strong uh, uh, Mexican-American vote, like Bear County, uh, Harris County, uh, Dallas, um, you know, all those areas, even El Paso. So it's kind of like, I don't quite know what to feel because in some ways it went, it broke one way and then at the same time it broke another way. And then it, it's like all over the place. It's kind of hard to get a real definitive thing about what's going on, whether it's a victory or not. I think it's mostly a victory as far as our community, but you know, I, I thought some of the, the down ballot races would be a lot different because that's kind of what happened. That's what happened in 2016. And then that's what happened in 2000, uh, looking around 2018 is that, the big race still went the way of the nation, the way they're always going to go, right? It's still red. But that huge turnout had like a down ballot effect. I don't know, man. You didn't really see that that much here in Texas. I thought it was going to be a lot more. I thought, I almost thought that's where we would see a changing of the guard in Texas was uh, on the down ballot, that it would affect those lower races, the big turnout. But it didn't. <laughs> it really didn't. You know, Carlos, I'm, I'm also very interested in finding out since 2017, there's been a huge migration of Puerto Ricans from the island, not just to Florida, right, but also to Texas. Yeah. And they are not 
Puerto Ricans from New York that are down and progressive. These are Pentecostal, not all, but many are very religious, anti-abortion, you know, macho, all these things that are really not positive for, you know, political representation. And, you know, if you find anything on the news or have you heard anything on how they, you know, uh, but if you find something, please share it because I'm okay. really trying to find out how, you know, really how the, the Puerto Rican recent migrants that came to, yeah. you know, Puerto Rico, to Florida, how are they voting? Because, again, they're more conservative. Mm -hmm. They... You know, they kind of align, not necessarily with the Cubans, but right up there with some Colombianos and Venezolanos. The Puerto Ricanos that I've seen here in, in like, in San Antonio, uh, they do tend to, to, I see that, and I'll tell you why the case is in San Antonio, and that's because San Antonio is a big military town. So a lot of the Puerto Ricanos that came over here, they came here through the military. Yeah, of course. So yeah. I would notice that some of them did have a little bit more, had that military um like mindset, you know, because that's where a lot of them came from. They, they, they found themselves yeah, yeah. in San Antonio because Fort Sam or any of the military branches. So I'll keep my ears mm -hmm. out to see if there's any, please any, any, send any, the juice, any talk about that. <laughs> yeah. About to bust some people out. <laughs> so I don't know if you guys saw this, uh, Glenn, I spelled the name wrong. Greenwald, like he, this, uh, thing that was on Twitter, Basically, uh, he was um, putting out some information from a, a New York Times reporter that uh, was saying something along the lines of how she's after this election, that this is why he wrote, this is why a New York Times reporter announced that she's preparing an article to declare Hispanics no longer part of people of color. It's not just right wing Cubans and Venezuelans in South Florida. The predominant media narrative of the last four years has been obliterated by um, by voters. And then he goes on to talk about uh, actually about Zapata County in Texas, right? That in 2012, Obama won it by 43 points. In 2016, Hillary won it by 33 points. And in 2020, Biden lost it by by five points. So now we're not. Uh, so, I, you know, basically what this person is saying is Hispanics, whatever the fuck that means, aren't people of color because they vote for <laughs> Republicans? Because 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 um Disgusting. because this Stupid. person decides that yeah yeah well i'm yeah, glad this you... white person decides who's right. a person of color who isn't oh i but don't that's know about that I, I can show you my skin because i'm really fucking brown hey, but like can we just take a vote and vote that we don't agree with that and then we censor that motherfucker who votes that we right? <laughs> or can we just start calling like some of us are white i guess not us but some latinos are white and like of course I think we have to like this whole blanket like POC and stuff like that of like all Latinos, all Hispanics, whatever. Not everyone's white. Not everyone's brown. Some people are black. Some people are mixed. Like, you know, todo. And it's like, yeah. I'm just so frustrated because like one of the things that like I had was learning in one of my classes is basically like, you know, the Americanization of people of the United States is based on the idea that you know, people are now white. So if you are now considered white, you are now considered American. And I think a lot of Latinos, especially Latinos for Trump, who voted for Republican or voting right are more conservative. Like some of them have this same idea of like, you know, don't speak Spanish, 
be more American, you know, join the military, stuff like that. And it's so frustrating because it's like, you know, think of us, as we were saying, as not a monolith, as more different, but also the fact that like, you know, we as Latino people have always been Americans because the whole fucking continent is called America. You know, it's not just this, that, that, like, it's not just we were given American citizenship and we are now Americans. It's like, no, we are like gente de, 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 like of this land. And it's like so frustrating when people say that because it's like, one, we're very, very diverse, whatever. But two, you know, your ideas of Americanness are based in white supremacy. And I'm not going to like go for that because I'm American because my people, my ancestors were born on this fucking continent. Not because some white people gave me the citizenship that like they wanted me that they wanted me to have. Snap it, girl. I just got a I just got a text from Robbie Marquez in in Denver. Uh Denver. Denver. He said that uh CNN just called Michigan for Biden. Okay. So I don't trust CNN. I don't trust CNN either. Yeah. No. All right. <clears throat> the got to be a little bit more really, excited about yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> press is nah. When I'll read it in another source, I'll believe it. <laughs> yeah. If, if you watch real news reporting that yeah. a bunch of people stormed the TCF building, which is Cobo Hall. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The observers. So they're reporting that each side is allowed 134 challengers in total. Yeah, Michigan or- people is united. We're texting people a storm. Um, I work with them and volunteer with them, and they asked if I could go down there and a couple of my friends to to challenge because it was crazy last yeah. night. Well, the free um, press is reporting and- there's over 600 challengers in the room. Mm-hmm. They're trying to really narrow it down and get specifically people who have uh, who are lawyers who have election experience to go mm. to be a little bit more influential. A and, group of Trump supporters concise. tried to storm and just walk in. Yeah, of course. Well, of course they did, man. Yeah, yeah, I read that too. Right? You're gonna see more of that. You're gonna see more of that. That's what I was just about to post to y'all. Some guy here in Arizona named uh, I'm not gonna say his name. But he was uh, he's calling for um, people to go down and do basically the same thing. I was like a little bit change of pace, but Oregon just like decriminalized possession of all drugs. Yeah, that's that's interesting. And it's super, super good and in like a good direction. Yeah, but I want to see policies aligning with prisoner release, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's the huge thing. If you are, you know, decriminalizing drugs because the white people are driving this campaigns right then how is this going to right also bring some release to you know those people that have been in prison for simple possession or anything else right so it's got to go along because one is their issue but the other one is not yeah yeah well, California passed Prop 17, which is the giving right to vote back I to felons. That served their time and everything, which is good. Is Anyway, we can go smoke weed anywhere in the country now. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, You can come here now it and smoke weed. Never we'll sit out in the backyard. Ever. <laughs> yeah, good. <laughs> not in Texas, though, good. right? No, no. no not in Texas. Pipes. No. And in Jersey a, now, too. Yeah, let's go. Puff, puff. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I, I, yes. It's amazing. It's amazing. I mean, and I'm happy about that, especially, you know, because I think it's important. But I really wonder, like, who's driving these campaigns, right? And, you know, like, what's the really bottom line on each of those propositions and what do, do that mean because on the general it sounds good right we're legalizing cannabis um, recreationally and medically because I think even Louisiana now you can medically or in one of the southern states now medically it passed right so all of this is really really good but, you know, again, I think that we need to, it's important to find out who's running these campaigns because, like, I remember when it was happening, I think in Ohio, like, only seven cannabis growers could benefit out of, at the end of that legislation. And one of them was, like, a famous basketball player. So, you know, how is this, like, you know, helping, you know, our communities in our issues, you know, and are the, you know, policies of the police department you know, understanding enough what it means that now it's legal and then, you know, when you see black people in the corner smoking weed, you can't really continue to do what you're doing, right? How all these things continue to align and not just that all of a sudden we can all smoke freely, recreationally or medically, right? Or you said not to smoke it. I think well, in Oregon they're starting to do something like that. What's what Carolina said? They're de they they've decriminalized it. They haven't made it legal. They've decriminalized it, right? Because and they can't we, jail you for it. That's but right. They're also, but they're also providing like drop boxes for needles, stuff yep. like that. There you um, go. No, no, no. Also providing right. I think it's um, a comprehensive rehab support. That's so right. You will be able to go to rehab free of charge instead of being going to jail. You're just going to go to rehab. Yeah. 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 No, I think the decriminalization. I don't understand why these aren't public. These are these should be public health initiatives. Yeah. Every single one of them, cannabis, any other what's considered illicit drug, they all should be public health initiatives and run from that perspective, because then you think you know mental, uh, physically, you know, and that aligns with being in prison or you know having an addiction or being homeless. So the thing is, is that they're not run from that perspective. You right. know, they're usually run from just a group of people, I think, right? And I haven't done the analysis of what I'm seeing. It's just a group of people that are interested in continuing with the trend of making it, you know, legal across the country. And it's usually run by you know, white progressive folks and very few is jumping for uh POC, you know? Right. So yep. just yeah. putting that out there. Especially with the opioid stuff is cause like, you know, that started affecting white communities. And then that's where we see this huge drive to like getting all that stuff treated as public health things. Yep. I think yeah. overall it's going to be beneficial to all people, you know, sure. but it is like the, you know, the drive and the want for it. I mean, I got a lot of opinions on like that kind of stuff. My mom's a psychiatrist, specializes in like addiction. And so I got a ton it's of It's so opinions. funny because I, so I went and got my bachelor's degree in criminal justice and I brought that perspective up to, I was, at that time I was in Delta Fair. So that program, it pumps out most of the law enforcement that is in Michigan. And my professor was like, oh, I never thought of it that way before. And I was just like... <laughs> That's ridiculous. Wow. 
I think ultimately, and I mentioned this um, before we start, like my biggest concern is Joe Biden will win. And of course, as, as we, as he has come out of the horse's mouth, Donald Trump isn't going to accept that. It's going to be a coup. I think, I think we should start calling Donald Trump a fascist. And I think we should say it with our whole chest because yeah. I think it's true. He's authoritarian. He's fascist. I, so. I think the military has come out saying that they will not do any action. They better not. I believe they have made a statement somewhere that they will not do any military or action. If the election is contested, let, let the people hash it out on the streets with the lawyers and legislators. The only way things happen, just we just got to be careful. Whatever happens, uh, you know, there may be violence, and I just want all our people to be safe and to have like contingency plan. Talk to your, you know, people in your community and, you know, be prepared because we don't, I'm not saying that there's going to be a civil war, but I think there's going to be like, you know, real tensions depending on the election results and we all need to be ready for that during COVID times, right? This is just the beginning. I know, like, since he always talks about it, like, resting on our morals. So I think to her point, like, this is only the beginning, regardless of who comes to be the president. Like, this is just our call to continue the action, very similar to what happened in Arizona. Yeah. To continue to work on Texas, right? And Nevada, Utah, all of those states. Si se puede. Si se puede. Si, si se puede. Hey, homie. I'm getting tired of dudes just getting over on the raza. This is for the raza. This is the reality dysfunction.